Hey everybody, this is Matt Fendora, and you're listening to the Choose to Live, Love, and Grow podcast, the show that provides tools and insights to help you become the best version of yourself, focusing on mind, body, heart, and spirit. Without further ado, let's begin. Welcome back to the Choose to Live, Love, and Grow podcast, the podcast all about being the best version of yourself through mind, body, heart, and spirit. I'm here with Sarah Carter. Sarah has spent 15 years engaging people on the high seas, high in the skies, flying the P-3 and P-8 and all over the world with the U.S. Merchant Marine, U.S. Navy, and the White House. It is here where her passion for people grew into lifelong dedication In her new career as an ICF Associate Certified Coach, she partners with people striving to realize their true purpose and potential on the job and at home. She is also the author of All About Change, How to Successfully Make Personal Life Changes. Some of Sarah's proudest accomplishments include being a wife, a mom, a small business owner, a Navy pilot, she's ran two marathons, and a lifelong learner. What makes Sarah's heart sing? Her clients' aha moments. So how are you doing today, Sarah? Morning, Matt. I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Uh, Beautiful fall day and just, yeah, excited to dive into the podcast with you. Thank you for the intro. um, I love to kind of reflect on those things. I feel like we forget, you know, we forget what we're made up of. So sometimes it's just good to hear your own intro. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was one thing I wanted to point out, and that was one you said um, two of your proudest accomplishments were being a wife and being a mom. And Mm -hmm. I think it's some people view that as like cliche, but I think it's so important to view that as an accomplishment because that shows that you're still working on it. You're that's something that you're proud of that. Hey, you know, I'm not just uh, I gave birth to a child and that's the end of it. Like that, that journey is still ongoing. And that's something that you're proud of. (laughs) Boy, is it ever (laughs) she's two and a half. Uh, and so that's comes with a lot of tantrums and potty training and all of the things. And some days I can get really down about it. Like, Oh, am I doing the right thing? Did I treat her well today? Did I encourage her? Um, but then when you reflect on the journey as a whole, like, no, no, I'm doing a good job (laughs) where it's not just a win because she survived another day. It's a win because she is a happy kid. She's a fun kid to be around. So no, it is. And it being the wife part too, you know, it's, I think you're right. People do kind of forget like, Oh, got married, check the box. Um, but you have to keep working on it. It's not a, it's, it's not a got the license and I'm done. You, it, it grows and changes over time. And if you don't work on it, that's when we find ourselves in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things that you said in your bio was that um, while you were in the military is when you started to learn that your your passion for working with people. So what was it that um, made you want to become a life coach? Did that happen while you were in the service? It did. I found myself at that kind of classic tipping point where I'd been in 10 years and it was the, do I stay or do I go? Cue the music. Do I stay or do I go? Um, I, my husband's active duty military as well. Our careers didn't look like they'd really take us to the same places. So I made the decision of, okay, you know, it's, it's time for me to move on because I found this thing that I think I'm interested in. 
I loved working with my young sailors. And then later on, when I worked a joint assignment at the White House, my um, Coasties, Marines, Air Force men um, and soldiers, I loved working with them, see what they were made of, not just service wise, but what are you made of in life? What are you made of in what your next career is going to look like. I loved that process. And I found I was that person that people kept coming to. Um, it really hit home when somebody from a unit who just worked on a different part of our um, installation came to me and said, hey, ma'am, I heard you were the person to come to to talk about career after, to talk about things beyond. And how he had heard that, I have no idea. It was that magical trickle effect, I think, that happens when people stumble upon a good thing they want to tell other people about. We were probably at least four degrees removed. And there he was, like, I would love to hear what you've got to say. Um, and it, it continues this day to be really funny when people come to me for advice, air quotes here, heavy air quotes, come to me for advice because I don't give advice as a coach. I never have. I've never given the advice. And I think that's why people gravitated to it, especially in the service, was I wasn't advising the golden path or I wasn't advising the typical things you had to do. I always ask people questions about themselves and what they see and what they want. And it gets very personal because that's the only way really to be successful. And no matter what it is, I think that's where it stuck. And that's where I started to realize, hey, there's something to this. Um, and when I got serious about looking at what I wanted to do, I had no idea what that looked like until uh, somebody came to our church and gave a presentation about coaching. And it wasn't about coaching, but I found out she was a coach. And I'm like, that, I want to do that all day long, whatever that looks like. And however I have to do it, that's clearly where my where I belong. So, um, so there, that was what led me down that path. I love that. I love that it, uh, it stemmed from just like one or two interactions. And you're like, oh, this, maybe this, this means something to me. And, and it translated into after, uh, mm-hmm. after the military. So mm-hmm. how was that transition for you? You said your husband is still, is still active duty right now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. do you think it was a huge shift for you going from active duty to not while your husband was still in? <laughs> yes. Uh, monumental might be the best way to put it. Um, you know, I had a good thing going. I was at the top of my game in the military. I'd made it, you know, like I'd made it. I'd gotten through the training. I was moving on to the next biggest levels of things. Um, but to make my life work and to make my happiness work, that was no longer the spot. And I needed to branch. And my next thing was going to look very different. And of course, the my husband's a Marine. And of course, the Marine Corps threw us the zinger of, oh, and you're moving to Okinawa, Japan. So we got married in April. I got out of the military in August. I moved to Japan in October. That was, that was the sequence of events. Um, and if I did not already have the idea of what I wanted to do and the beginning workings of what it was going to look like, I don't think I would have done it. I don't know what I would have done. Um, I've seen a lot of people who don't have that idea of what they want to do next kind of simmer, you know, after they get out. Um, I probably would have done the same thing as it was. I spent about three months crying on my couch in Okinawa. (laughs) I I don't hide that from anyone. It was not a pretty time. Sweatpants and closed curtains were my friend. This was pre-COVID. 
I just, I felt lost. Even though I knew what I wanted to do, I still felt very lost. The transition was rough. I, um, my schedule, I finally had full reign over my schedule, which was something in my adult life I'd never had. And I quite frankly, didn't know what to do with it. (laughs) I had to structure that. Um, I had free reign to choose the things I wanted to be involved with in every hour of my every hour of my day, literally. And it was overwhelming. It was paralyzing. Like I said, I sat on my couch and cried. Um, And a lot of that was not just loss of identity because there I was no longer wearing the uniform, no longer doing that every day, but financial, let's be real. There was, that wasn't there. Um, But that camaraderie, those people weren't there. I was building it from the ground up which I hadn't done in 15 years since I'd gone to college. Mm -hmm. So it was, um, like I said, monumental. It was, it was difficult and people really underestimate that. I think a lot of the clients I worked with who are in military members transitioning out. One of the first questions I asked them is what does your network look like? If they're all wearing uniforms, you need to reassess. I think we even talked about this, right? I was like, Mm -hmm. If every single person in your network is currently wearing a uniform and you are thinking about getting out, you need to reassess because that net of people, net work is not there yet. And for me, it was, but we moved to Japan. So then it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) So um, yeah, it was hard. It was hard. Um, I credit my husband a lot. He was there encouraging me every day like it'll be okay he 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 frequently threw away pints of ice cream before they before I could even open them he's like no more ice cream we're not doing this um but he took care of me and really he knew that there was going to be light at the end of the tunnel he kept reminding me about the path that hey you found something you want to do let's get on it let's get to it in gentle ways you know he wasn't the drill instructor (laughs) but in gentle ways and um so yeah, the transition was tough. I think that the military has gotten better from what I've seen when it comes to that transition, their uh, transition readiness seminar. I think that's gotten better, but I think that we started too late. And I, because one of the points that you just brought up was your network. If all you're thinking about is I'm going to stay in the military, I'm going to stay in the military. We're not doing enough to say, hey, w- you might not be in the military in a couple of years. What, what will you do? Like, I know you want to, which was originally my plan. I wanted to do my 20 years, but then life happened. And I was like, you know what, after 10, same, same situation. I'm like, I, I can't keep doing this. So, mm-hmm. and I, because of that, I wasn't a hundred percent prepared. I didn't have a network. I didn't have anything. So I had to, just like you did build it from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think we just need to start that transition period sooner and let mm-hmm. people make that decision instead of you're staying in the military. No, you're going to stay in the military. You're just sign your reenlistment papers, keep going and not give that thought of, okay, if this doesn't work out, then what? I think we just start mm-hmm. that a little too late. Yeah, I agree. And I don't know that we need to frame it as a transition thing. I think we need to frame it as an awareness thing. I think that would go a long way. As a pilot, it's very easy for me to have seen where my path could have led me post-military if I wanted to continue to do that. That was easy. But as some of my, uh, I was the ordinance division officer for a while. (laughs) What does an ordinance men look like on the outside? I feel if we started that training really early on with the, this is what you look like in your uniform, 
this is what it could look like on the outside and showing the showing people how those skills translate on the other side might get you in helping them build those connections, like partnering with those orgs earlier on. I think you're right. could really help, but we have made strides. You're totally right. I've heard people coming out of TRS these days where they've got a lot more useful tools, a lot more, um, not connect. Yeah. Connections is the right word. A lot more connections that are current <laughs> to help them. So I think we have come a long way in taking that next step. I think looks more like just framing it differently. Mm-hmm. You said you were crying on your couch for three months. So yes. what was that thing that changed that? Like what got you off of the couch? Oh gosh. What finally did it? I talk about it in my book about setting smart goals and really structuring but not structuring the S and smart stands for specific. And I realized I hadn't gotten specific about how I was going about this process. So I'm sitting there on my couch freaking out and my goals look like I want to become a coach. I want to become, get involved in some sort of volunteering and I need new friends. Not very specific. Um, I had to get more granular about them. What kind of coach, with what institute, what what long-term do I want that to look like? And who, so do I want to be a career coach? Do I want to be a confidence coach? Do I want to be a leadership coach? I had to get very specific, not just, hey, I want to be a coach. So I worked it down to, I want to be a leadership and transition coach. And I want to do it with the same person that I went through with church. The other one about making friends was my favorite one because that's so ambiguous. It's like, I want to make new friends. Great. (laughs) How do you make new friends? I don't know. I haven't done it 15 years uh, in a dedicated way. And I whittled that down to, I want to make new friends who will help me see the island in ways that feel true to me. Because when you moved to Okinawa, people will tell you their version of how they found the island um, and suggest that for you. But if you don't really feel drawn to that, like scuba diving, Okinawa is a huge scuba def- destination. Uh, my idea of swimming includes a float and a beer. <laughs> it does not <laughs> include scuba diving. So I had to find friends who wanted to do, I wanted to go to coffee cafes and see the food scene and, um, go to various beaches and sit on the beach. That's what I wanted to do. So I needed to find those friends. So what helped me get off off my couch, out of my sweatpants and open the curtains was actually taking the steps to get smart about my goals and make them specific enough that made them achievable. So how did you find those friends? (laughs) Right. Uh, I, so I got involved with another thing volunteering was I wanted to be able to volunteer in a way that was, would help my husband's unit. They want to there's dozens of ways to volunteer, but I wanted to get right in there in the thick of it. Um, so I asked around the unit, other spouses of, Hey, does anyone want to, does anyone do this? Does anyone like coffee? <laughs> does anyone like to experience these things? Um, and I did, I ended, I found it actually a neighbor and we're still friends to this day. She lives in California now, but, um, she was like, I do, I like coffee and beach. Let's do it. And off we went. And a couple other people she introduced me to, we still talk as well. One's down in Mississippi. They're all over the place, like mil- true military life takes us. Um, and yeah, that's that's eventually what got it moving. So you found, you basically said, hey, this is what I like. And then who, who's similar? And then you find those similarities. And then it's it's onward after that. 
Absolutely. And I, I connected with some other people who we didn't have all the same interests, but they led me to other things that matched. So it's, it's going to be trial and error. And, uh, in any new situation, but also any, this is kind of an old situation, right? Making friends is as old as time, but um, it's going to be a little trial and error here and there. And it was, and it proved, you know, there's some of my lasting friends to this day. Mm -hmm. So how do you use those experiences as a life coach to help other people make changes in their life? Mm, Good question. So what I needed in that moment was self-awareness, right? I needed to be aware of the things that I valued, that I sought, that I needed. And as a life coach, even as a career coach, I do strive to encourage people to look inward first, to get their self-awareness. The other day I was coaching someone on their they're finding that the way they present on their topic is not well perceived or not as well perceived as others, not perceived, received as others. They feel others have given them feedback recently that they're too direct, they're too con- they're too short, they're too demanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked this member that I was coaching, I was like, well, what is that other person doing? If everyone is comparing you to this other person, what does their tactic look like? And the blank reception was so funny. He was just like, huh? Well, I don't know. And that lack of awareness of just complete, not like I, people are telling me this, I have no idea was so funny to watch. Like, Oh, I don't know. He's like, okay, go the next meeting you have with this person really observe make that your moment observe what are they doing different and then what do you what could you emulate what could you add how can you amp that up um what how does that differ from your style so that type of exchange was very similar to what i did was okay this situation is totally different than what you've been in what do you need who do you need to seek and what do you see around you as options very similar um yeah, that's what I strive is to get some people, get people to be more aware. That's where I find that um, ties in. So do you think that with how, I mean, that could have been perceived as defensive instead of being self-aware. So do you think that um, emotional intelligence has a role when it comes to making changes in people's lives? Oh, it totally does. You have to be, you have to be emotionally intelligent enough to be open to making the change. I, I cannot be your cheerleader. I can't, I can sit here and wave the pom-poms all day long, but at the end of the day, you're the quarterback of your life and you have to move the ball forward. And if you're not in an emotionally intelligent, aware, receptive, whatever the word is, enough space to recognize that need, it won't happen. Case in point, I had a client years ago who came to my office every single time and I want to make this change. I want to make this change. I want to make this change. And when I asked them to do the hard thing and to, okay, so do it, what's holding you back, everyone else was to blame. 
and that's the that's usually the very first indicator that someone's not ready is when everyone else is to blame and they're not ready to look inwardly and ex and, and do the thing that needs to be done for that lasting change. Yeah, absolutely. Emotional intelligence is key. So how does somebody who is in that position where they they're refusing to look at themselves, how do how do you help them look at themselves? Oh, it's like the great question. The great, it's like the big bang question in the coaching field. <laughs> um, gently, gently, assertively doesn't, I find doesn't work, but directly. So gently, but directly, just like I did with that other client years ago of what's holding you back. What would your life look like? What does that life that you see have that your current life doesn't? What small step are you willing to take today? Those are the types of questions that you ask that are, like I said, gentle, but very direct. Because what I perceive as one small step for them today is like jumping off the Grand Canyon to some to that person who is not looking inwardly. And it might be a phone call it might be, you know, some sort of correspondence. It might be signing up for a class. It might be drafting a resignation letter. But and for for us on the outside, that might not look like a big deal. But for them and their in their current emotional state, that's huge. Mm-hmm. And that could be their breakthrough. And um, and once they get to the other side of that, I've found that oh my gosh, the momentum picks up. So it's it's asking the right tailored gentle questions to get people to recognize where they're at um one other thing i wanted to mention um was in your book you have a chapter about growth mindset and that's Mm -hmm. something that i'm super passionate about so could you give a little bit of details on uh your perspective on growth mindset and how to create a growth mindset Mm, I love growth mindset. It gets me fired up because so many people aren't going to the root of the research. So when I was researching for the book, I wanted to find out the origin of growth mindset. Where does it come from? Who did it first? And the, the answer there is Dr. Carol Dweck out of Stanford. And she tested um, a group of children in a, in a holistic way, not in any, this isn't a lab setting. We're not talking about lab rats, but in a way of She gave children problems that were meant to be too hard for their age group. So they were like eight-year-olds and she gave them some some problems that were too hard. And there were some children who got mad about it. Envision eight-year-olds flipping tables. (laughs) Like got mad about it and, oh, it's too hard. or, Or got, oh, you did this on purpose. You know, just mad. And then the kids who kept trying, kept thinking, trying to think through it, kept looking for um, information. Those were the kids that she categorized as having a growth mindset because they didn't, they didn't see the just problem for problem's sake. They saw that there's something to learn here. That's the heart of having a growth mindset is that through every failure, there's something to learn through every try through every error and trial there is a lesson there is some there's a way to grow 
um, through every situation that is challenging, you, whether you rose above it or not, you did, you did take something away. So that's, that's what it is as its core. And as a leadership coach, it's one of those things that I try to draw on for people of like, okay, so this new situation, this situation is new for you. I coach people who are new managers, new people leaders. They've never led people before and it's intimidating. I'm like, okay, do you have children? Yes, most of them do. Like, okay, did you teach your kid to kick a soccer ball? Well, yeah, okay. So you've, let's take from that lesson. Let's take what you learned in that space and you know transfer it over to here and that's making that correlation i think is key too when it comes to growth mindset of just because i you know just because every airplane i ever stepped into was a quote airplane they didn't all function the same and you but you still had to take the lessons you learned from that very base model teaching your kid to kick a soccer ball flying your first cessna to the 737 or now leading 100 people. You have to be able to see that those things align to be able to really lean into what growth mindset is all about. I love it because you're, you went back and you drew an experience from them showing that leaders aren't born, they're created. And every experience that you've had could have been a leadership opportunity if you just look at it in that lens. Exactly. Um, could you give three tips on how to create a growth mindset? Yeah, let's see. Three tips to create a growth mindset. I think a big one. So tip number one with like stars next to it is acknowledge the fail. Don't just blow through it and want to get straight to the lesson. Spend a moment there like, yep, yeah, failed at that. <laughs> uh and then like sit there for a second, like that sucks. That feeling is real. But then spin into the, okay, what did I learn? How do I move forward from it? Um, I think another good one, number, so number two, so number one is to acknowledge the fail. Two, write it down. Don't lose it. I think people think of journaling as being this big mysterious thing of like where you have to pour your heart out on some piece of paper about whatever weird thought you had. Um, but journaling could be, what did I learn today from whatever it was? And then when you become that people leader or you become that whatever new role, you have you can go back and be like, oh, I learned that thing that one time. <laughs> and you can see how it applies. Mm -hmm. So Tip number one, like I said, is acknowledge the fail. Tip number two is journal about it. Write that, write that stuff down. And then I think number three is to talk about it. We're learning a lot from each other by talking through these things. Talk about it with somebody. And it doesn't even have to be somebody. We in the military world do a really great job of doing after actions and talking about stuff. I have discovered in my coaching time that the civilian world doesn't do that. <laughs> oh, spend time to do the debrief to do the after action and it doesn't have to be with the person who was there with you it can be with your you know with other people to get those other perspectives as well and through all of that you are building that mindset of yep this thing happened 
How do we move through it? How do I morph to make this a, a situation I can grow from? I, I, those are great tips. And uh, I think we don't, like you, the first one you said, acknowledge the feeling. I think we just brush off on the actual moment. We either, uh, we either live in that moment or we're just like, ah, ignore that. Just keep going. Yeah, push through, push through instead of, man, I, I failed. You know, like this, mm -hmm. this feeling sucks. Okay. What can I learn to make sure I don't have this feeling again, because I don't like it. Mm -hmm. And then that also comes from writing it down and talking it out. Then you, that's how you build from that acknowledgement part. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. So one thing I've noticed um, that you post a lot on your LinkedIn um, is your goal for the amount of books that you read in a year. And so if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, that, that number is 24, correct? For this year. 24 doing it. How can somebody, so what habits have you created that help you accomplish that goal? Because to a lot of people, that goal might seem very daunting. Some people are like, man, I can, I read two books a year or something. So how did, how do you, can someone go from two books to 24 books in a year? Hmm. My tip to everyone who wants to do this, get over that mental block in your brain that audiobooks aren't books. It's mm. not true. <laughs> audiobooks are books. I spend, so my dad had a stroke last year and I found myself taking him to a lot of doctor's appointments, sitting in a lot of doctor's offices, driving a lot of spaces. And he doesn't particularly like the music I like to listen to. So <laughs> I got us audiobooks. And we would listen to those in the car. And then I found that I enjoy that and that finding a space when you're doing the laundry, when you're doing whatever media, you know, menial task, you can throw in the book and you're reading. Um, I also think one thing you probably noticed about my book list is it's not all professional focus. Like I'm not aiming to solve world peace or figure out if the big bang was real sometimes I just want to read Outlander and <laughs> like listen to fluff. Um, do that. Give yourself the mental break. Don't hold yourself to these highbrow. My reading list has got to be constant. I mean, just learning, 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 learning. It doesn't, it can be any reading is good reading. Um, and it can be, it can be those mental breaks. So those are my two things that'll really take you to the next space in your reading is accept audiobooks as a gift they are do that and then uh take take the break now i do read some really highbrow things that are super motivating the most recent one i read was prosperous coach man that book was good got me fired up it's like yes i can do that so absolutely do that whatever your thing is whatever you think your thing is going to be read about it study it become a true student of it but also take some breaks Mm -hmm. Uh, one thing that I read recently that I didn't know. So I've, I grew up focusing on nonfiction. So it's just like learning, 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 learning. And what I learned was the importance of fiction. So if you, all you do is you focus on the nonfiction and you forget the fiction, you're losing your creativity. You're working that critical, that critical side of your brain, but the fiction helps you with your creative side. So it's important to try to balance both of those out, get that creativity in you and not just focus on the information. Mm -hmm. It totally, totally is. Um, I do that with history. I like history. I appreciate it. I'm not going to go pick up a biography or an autobiography. Not happening. Mm -hmm. 
I love historical fiction because the authors are so good about injecting reality to where you almost feel like it is real. Um, I love those. I think I'm trying, I'm totally blanking on a recent one outlander. I keep coming back to because I want the new season to start, but (laughs) they do such a good job at researching that you are picking up the history. You are picking up the bits and pieces that are important. Um, but there are other ways, like you said, get creative about it. I also read, um, I'm trying to think anyway, but you're right. It is so important. And I feel like, especially those of us who have done really high technical crafts, we can get like planes. I flew planes for forever. I read everything I could about planes and that is great. And I became really good at it. But what helped, I think, me think outside the box sometimes was I was also uh, nourishing that other side of my brain, that creative side of my brain too. Mm -hmm. What do you, what would you say is your favorite book this year so far? Ooh. Hmm. It's a really I think a book this year that taught me a lot about empathy and just human grit and determination um, and a lot about love was a book called Wave. Um, I think her name is Sonha. She's the only survivor of the 2007 tsunami in Sri Lanka. Mm. And her whole family died in the tsunami. Her two children, her husband, her parents. She was the only survivor. And how she moved through that was just incredible. Like, I unfathomable. I don't know what I would do. But reading her story, I was like completely appreciative of her even putting it out there of I if I could tell her tomorrow thank you for putting for being brave to put your story out there I would I'd shake her hand probably give her a big hug because it just it brought so much feeling that um and wisdom so I think that was that's probably been my favorite book this year yeah well I I yeah I can't imagine that happening (laughs) no 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 I know it's like oh oof so it was heavy, but so much to to take from it. Uh, okay, so now that we're getting near the end of the podcast, I have three final questions for you. Okay. So this is uh, the Choose to Live, Love, and Grow podcast. So I have one question for each one of those. So mm-hmm. um, what advice can you share about how to create a life that leaves a positive impact on the world? Get straight about what your values are. Mm-hmm. Do the real work the real reflective work to figure out what you value and then lean into those as your points of impact. So I value relationship. I love connecting people. That is my, one of my favorite things to do. And I know that. So I seek that. Mm -hmm. And through that, that's how I'm having a positive impact on that little tiny bit of the world, but it spreads, you know, Mm -hmm. you see that kind of domino effect. So do that reflective work and get real about what your values are. Nice. Okay. So what are some practical ways people can cultivate (laughs) self-love? I did this yesterday. This is great. Listen to yourself. Dang it. Don't fight yourself. 
we do this, right? Especially as people who are aiming for success, aiming for that next level, aiming for that next thing. We often ignore or push aside what our brain, what our gut, what our body is telling us that we actually need. Yesterday, I woke up and I had slept terrible. And I, my body was like, Go, get back in bed, drop your kid off at school, get back in bed. But everything about my type A determined body and brain when I got home was like, nope, go make yourself some more coffee, get over to the computer, do your work. And that, that fight, I, fi- I did win. I went and got in bed and took a two hour nap. Oh my gosh, the, you know, the world's going to end. Not true. Nothing changed. <laughs> I felt better when I woke up. So how to cultivate self-love? listen, sit there and actually listen. Your body and your brain and your heart are telling you so many things at every intersection of your day. Just listen to it. And when you hear it, make sure this is kind of the other key. Make sure it's your voice. So sometimes our inner voice is actually the inner voice of that's crept in from society, from our well-meaning driven parents, from other influences that we've let kind of come in and disguise themselves. They're like the wolf in sheep's clothing in our brain. But when you hear the voice and it is yours telling you, Hey, Sarah, you feel terrible. Go sleep, do the thing. <laughs> like, Or Hey, Sarah, that cheeseburger with bacon and like all that giant French fries, probably not going to do anything for you today. Listen to that. Or if that is the best idea that my friend yesterday recommended, she's like, Sarah, you sound like you just need a Popeye's biscuit. I was like, yeah, I probably do. <laughs> if that is the right answer, do that. You know, just listen is really the, what it boils down to in my mind. I, that is so relatable because that happened to me just the other day. Um, my, uh, right after breakfast, I'm like, I just need, like I had, I had my coffee and I'm like, I need to go lay down. And I lay down mm-hmm. and I think I slept for an hour and a half or two hours. And I'm like, Oh, I guess I, I really did need that. So you did need that. Right. Yeah. And you felt better about yourself. Right. I sure mm-hmm. did. When I woke up, I was like, good for you, Sarah. You really loved yourself today by taking that nap and listening. And I got all my to-do list done yesterday despite mm-hmm. having taken the two hours. So yeah, listen, that's, <laughs> that's it. Okay. And for the final question, what strategies or practices do you recommend for people looking to enhance their self-awareness or self-reflection? Strategies, practices for self-awareness or self-reflection. Hmm. We do this really well in work, especially corporate land. We don't do this very well personally. Ask for feedback. Hmm. You can only see what you tell yourself you see, whereas other people really see things. So for example, I told you about my daughter and I am absolutely an assertive, determined type A personality. I try not to hide, I I can't hide it even if I want to. Um, Sometimes I feel like I'm hard on her. You know, she's two and a half. Sometimes I feel like I'm really hard on her. So I asked my husband, I asked my best friend um, and other friends, I'm like, hey, do you think I'm doing this right? Like, what would you have done? Um, and sometimes you're like, oh, no, would have done the exact same thing. <laughs> and then sometimes you're like, yeah, maybe you should have taken a different tactic. Same with other stuff. 
like we can think we're doing all the right all the right steps taking all the right things but until you really ask someone like hey matt do you think i did okay with this today like your i personally i probably think i did a great job but you like you know what sarah you talk too fast you use hand gestures in a podcast that's just recorded so no one's going to see them <laughs> you you know that feedback is really important and it goes to increasing your awareness because once you put that in my mind of uh, like oh you're right i probably should have just turned on the light for my two and a half year old kid who can't reach the light switch <laughs> instead <laughs> of making her go get her stool um now i'll find a balance you know we'll try to do a half and half or i'll go with her to the door and watch while she does the thing so there's and i'm not saying i did that that was just an idea <laughs> that came in because i saw my light switch but um same with how we treat people same with how we go for careers or we go for um, different life changes asking for that feedback causes you to be more aware because somebody now has reflected it back to you that when you do your self-reflection you can see where it fits in I just uh, want to acknowledge you for your time. I really appreciate that uh, you came on to the podcast and you were your authentic self. And uh, that's all that we have for today. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to connect with Sarah, you can email her at sarah at inwiththenewyou.com or you can reach her at any of her social media handles, which will be provided in the show notes. How can we support Sarah? By sponsoring a shower with her Arbone team. They partnered with a charity called Vigilant Hope this holiday season to stock their mobile shower truck with products. No amount is too small. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Choose to Live, Love, and Grow podcast. I look forward to seeing you next week. Don't forget to live, love, and grow to be the best version of you. Oh, and one more thing. If you or a young man that you know suffer from victim mindset or are not reaching their fullest potential, then visit mattfindora.com to see how we can work together to become the best version of ourselves. That's mattfindora.com. The link will be in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you and have an outstanding day.